The Global Road Safety Podcast is sponsored by Smith System, celebrating 70 years of impacting road safety around the world. Find us at drivedifferent.com. Smith System. Drive different. Save lives. With safer vehicle design, driver assistance technology, and mountains of data available from monitoring devices, why is it that vehicle crashes and deaths continue to rise? According to the World Health Organization, on-road injuries are among the leading causes of death worldwide, especially in low-income countries. With more deaths, more injuries, and billions of dollars in annual costs, what can drivers and the companies that hire them do to keep our roads safer? Welcome to the Global Road Safety Podcast. I'm Tony Douglas. Every day, about 100 people in the United States are killed in road crashes. Globally, that number is roughly 3,500 daily deaths. Officially, 10 to 15% of those deaths are directly attributable to distracted driving by the investigating authorities. Respectable studies, however, continue to assert that distracted driving is a factor in more than 50% of all crashes and fatal crashes. Many experts contend that the percentage is even higher. Everyone agrees that reporting standards and consistency are a challenge. Distracted driving is simply defined as driving while doing another activity that takes attention away from driving. We know for certain that driving distracted increases the chances of a motor vehicle crash by at least 23 times. Statistically, Distracted driving is as dangerous as driving while impaired by drugs or alcohol, yet the same social stigma doesn't exist. Sadly, many drivers continue ignoring the statistics and consider the risk of driving while distracted to be acceptable. Recently, I was privileged to interview road safety expert Mr. Paul Ripley, 2020 winner of the Prince Michael of Kent Special Road Safety Award, recognizing Paul's more than 40 years of contributions to road safety in the United Kingdom and the European Union. Paul is also founder of Distraction 999, which represents a consortium of distracted driving technology solutions in the UK market. Also joining us is Ted Chin, entrepreneur and co-founder of Lifesaver Mobile. Ted is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania Business and Law Schools and is a leading expert on distracted driving prevention technology in the U.S. I hope you find the conversation enlightening and helpful. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Global Road Safety Podcast, Paul Ripley and Ted Chin. Hello. How are you, Tony? Good to be here with you. Doing well. Thanks, Paul. Hey, Tony. It's great to be here. and Thank you for the opportunity to join you today. Yeah. Welcome on board, Ted. Paul, let's start with you. I know our audience would be interested in hearing how you started your career in road safety and a bit about your journey since. Yeah, it's a long road, I can tell you. The journey started well, 50, 50 plus years ago, nearly 60 years ago. Um, my dad was always very much a car guy. I kind of grew into that mold of youngster, you know, plenty of horsepower, but no brain power. And, um, and basically... You know, I got into cars at really quite a young age. I was driving on farms and things like that, and um, I passed my test first time, thank goodness. 
uh, back in the back in the mid sixties and, and bought myself a Lotus Cortina, which I eventually wrote off. Uh, I, I nearly killed myself, and I think that was a, that was a light bulb moment for me, where I was thinking you can get killed here. You're just not as good as you think you are. And my talent ran out. I was in hospital and I got interviewed by a police officer. And, uh, you know, he said to me, you know, a young guy, Lotus Cortina, where's the marriage there? I just said, you know, I'm mad about driving. I just love driving. I love cars. He said, you know, we have a we have an open uh, Tuesday evening at the police driving school. Why don't you come down? And I, and I went down there um, and that was it. And they had a skid pan and I was hooked. And they had a rear-wheel drive car going around in a skid pan. I had a ball of a time for about two hours. I couldn't get me off there. Um, and that was the light bulb moment for me that got me into driving and driving sensibly. I wanted to look at uh, rallying for argument's sake on on uh, loose, you know, loose surfaces and things like that. Rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. I wanted to go into uh, racing uh, single-seater formula cars into tin tops. And I did that for two or three years to get to know the techniques behind that. Now these guys could go around corners so fast that they didn't crash. I learned all those skills and that, which was brilliant. And then I really wanted to decide to go into teaching uh, in as much as I wanted to be a high-performance driving instructor. And just being a driving instructor wasn't my bag. I wanted to like, be in the next level up, as it were. And there was only really three guys in the UK doing that. So I thought, you know, I've got a marketplace there. These guys have proven there's a marketplace there. I had some wonderful driving roads. Uh, it's some great cars, you know. I'm a big 911 man, uh, Porsche 911. I've had, I don't know, over 30 of these. And to do things in a in, in on a damp surface with a 911, you certainly know what you're doing. That got me into doing high performance driver training, and I, and I did that for Aston Martin, for Lotus. I went over to Korea, South Korea, uh, with Hyundai and Kia, and did and trained all their test drivers. This kind of thing about uh, advanced car control understanding vehicle dynamics, chassis dynamics, all this kind of thing, understeer, oversteer, rather than just a driver trainer. So I looked into that side of stuff, and that got me hooked on it in a big way. Then I realized that I wanted to be as well-prepared academically as I was practically. And I got literally everything that I possibly could and realized that the top-notch thing at the time, which I won't say over air, but... You know, I decided that I wasn't good enough and there could be another level there. So I set up something called the Master Drivers Guild and they had quite a few people join that. And we used to go into the attitudinal stuff and the behavioural stuff and the emotional stuff, which I think is one of the keys of safe driving. There's categorically no two ways about that. So rather than just learn things about road driving, you know, all this kind of thing, have the discipline and, and all this emotional control and all that, that was really where I pointed myself at with this Master Drivers Guild. And I, we had master's degrees in there, and I really put this to market, and I really did a lot of work on that product uh, in the past. So people could ascertain just a grade one level, and then they could go on to get a master's degree and a diploma degree, this kind of thing. So um, that is really what I focused on for quite a while. Uh, and uh, I then got into car launches uh, with Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Renault, Porsche, you know, you name it. And, and, and we did a lot of work with a lot of the OEMs, the car manufacturers, uh, literally globally. Um, and uh, did okay out of that financially, thank you very much. And then basically uh, we got into doing big dealer events and that kind of thing. Then I sold that business back in 2000. And I built up three driver training businesses and sold them. Uh, so I'm quite a reasonable businessman as well. But it's just that I love producing. I have an unbelievable passion for what I do. 
and, and saving lives is really what I'm here for because I nearly took my own life, but I saved my own life just by doing this extra training. So that's just in a nutshell where I've been for the past 40 years, Tony, in literally about three minutes. So, Yeah, Paul, thank you. That That's uh, that's fascinating and um, a journey that, that I, I was certainly not expecting. So in terms of your commercial product, have you worked with the development of new drivers uh, on the uh, business to consumer side, as well as fleets and and uh, uh, corporate scenarios for training? Yes, I mean, the first thing when I became what they call the approved driving instructor in the United Kingdom, uh, yeah, there became an ADI. I wanted to be top grade ADI. In those days, it was a grade six with a top grade. And I, could, I, w- I wouldn't have put it with a grade five or grade four. That is, sorry, if there's a six available, I need to be a six. And that's where I am as a guy. I'm a very much a perfectionist. And I taught young drivers then. I think I only had one failure in 300 test passes. So that was absolutely brilliant. And funnily enough, he was my best young driver I've ever had. He was colossal as a young driver. And he failed the driving test purely through nerves. But we've been working quite recently with a couple of young driver insurers and, and supplying them with, uh, with educational materials that, that relates to telematics data. So that, that was driven by the telematics. And if somebody was a compulsive speeder, systematically late braking all the time, heavy braking movements, going around corners too fast, we know that at some point in time there's going to be a crash. And we, we try and avoid that crash by getting into them. And with anybody, it's always the carrot. It's never, ever can be the stick. And uh, that works quite well. We used to do a lot of educational material, videos, quizzes, things like uh, psychological nudges, which which are just push drivers a certain way. And I, I put a few of these on LinkedIn now. You've probably seen one or two of those, Tony. But it's all about getting under the driver's skin, going through psychology, philosophy about, about people's, the way that they think and feel, the way they act, react and respond to outside stimuli on the road. And it's just kind of stuff that I really get into. And youngsters have a, a lack of skill. They're, that is their problem. They have a lack of skill with all due respect to you. you know. So skill is the big thing. And when we're teaching and when we're learning youngsters' attitude, which I think is 75% of the safety equation, to be honest with you, it's never spoke about. It's never mentioned. It's all about skill to pass that driving test. So this is why I've gone into the attitudinal stuff and studied that for 28 years and I, I was a firm disciple of this this was the this is the golden nugget of driver safety it's a mindset not necessarily a skill set so that's basically where i am so yes to answer the question yes i have so it's a long answer tony <laughs> no paul that's terrific so you've seen all of the major vehicle safety improvements over your career better and safer design of automobiles obviously airbags uh, and now driver assistance technology, how would you characterize drivers over that same period? Are the drivers today better or are they worse than uh, perhaps when you first started in, in the safe driving realm? I think that what's happening with the ADAS systems, people will still, you still see people driving around without a seatbelt on. And I cannot get my head around that. Sorry. This is your only life saving thing you've probably got in your car, especially if it's an older car. Being a professional driver, no seatbelt, no ride. That's where I am. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm just harking back here, but I can remember I was called by the media when uh, Princess Diana, unfortunately, had the fatality in Paris in, uh, in in 1997. And I was called by the media down to the TV stations, uh, literally in London and globally. 
And, and I realised, well, I actually got the message going down on the train that there was only one person in that vehicle with a seatbelt on, and that was a passenger. He was the only one that survived. He was the bodyguard guy. But, you know, as a chauffeur, you have to have seatbelts on, otherwise I'm not taking you anywhere. And it's that mindset again, like, you know, it's your attitude towards this safety. I think that drivers tend to think that with ABS, I can now brake as late as I want. They kind of get this mentality that these driver assistance systems, that they're never going to crash. And, of course, they do and they will. And it's that mindset that they can't do it. Safety comes from the driver, God willing and all that, with, with all the great stuff that the now manufacturers are bringing in there. I think it's purely the manufacturers doing this, you know, with the automatic emergency braking, the lane change stuff, the ABS. I mean, ABS for me and seatbelts are the two absolute prime things. But nobody, I say nobody, Tony, don't get me wrong, not many people know how to use ABS properly. And they think on icy road, ABS is going to save them. And it certainly isn't, and it never would do, because it just doesn't have that grip to do that. It's them knowing this kind of stuff. And, you know, when suddenly they hit, they hit the brakes and, emerges, and the pedal vibrates and they come off the brakes. And then, bang, they, they hit something because, oh, I thought there was something wrong with the brakes, you know. So it's, it's learning these extra little things and what a car can do. One of the things that lets us down on that is that in the showrooms, for argument's sake, the, the sales guys have no idea how these things work and what exactly they're for. Can you turn them off? Are they constantly there all the time? Are they always in play? And I think it's because of that that there's such a lack of education on these new apparatus that are going into vehicles that needs to be there from people like yourself, Tony, and people like myself. It's probably a module to, to do in the future. What what exactly AEB is? What exactly traction control is? You know, and all these things in the pot in a short video can take drivers through it. So, oh, I didn't know that, and that's what that's what it's it about education, really. So, Paul, we've talked a bit before about what's going on with drivers since COVID. What you're really seeing today on the roads in the UK. Be very interested to hear your thoughts on on where the quality of uh, driving is today. Without a shadow of a doubt, the driving's got more aggressive. There's a lot more speeding taking place. There's almost a gay abandon that you know they can't get caught because uh, you never see any police officers. You very rarely see a police officer. Let's put it that way uh, on the motorways, freeways in your in your world. Um, and uh, you know people just bombing through the the built up zones, the twenty zones, the thirty zones way above the speed limit and that's where 75% of the crashes take place in these in these built up zones and basically it's almost with a gay abandon what's happening now and there doesn't seem to be any retribution if they you know for whatever they do because they can do what they want they've got a fast car they want to show off they're a bit late for work you know and, and all these things that they feel that they can do whatever they want because of their personal situation and if they've got emotion, lose it, you know, temper loss, this kind of thing, this is just a disaster waiting to happen. So I must report, it's not very good, and it's got worse since the COVID without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, we're seeing the same things in the U.S., Paul. It, it's a frightening situation. Yeah. So most recently, you've turned your focus toward distracted driving through your organization, Distraction 999. Please tell us about Distraction 999 and why you started the initiative. Primarily because um, I'd sold my recent business um, and I saw the problem of distracted driving getting worse and worse and worse. 
lots of publicity, lots of news coverage over here of colossal crashes. Um, you know, one, one of the main uh, players over here is Highways England, called, now called National Highways, and they send out police officers in, in big trucks and they film drivers, A, without a seatbelt, but primarily looking for drivers using the phone, handheld phone, and making the calls there. And, and I've seen this getting worse and worse and worse, and it, it allowed me to just kind of just move slightly sideways, but into a market that was desperate for solutions. And it's through this devastating daily, almost hourly, we see about another family of four got wiped out when a heavy goods vehicle, a truck in your words, you know, smashed into it, and it was doing, you know, 16, 56 miles an hour as, as the limit is on a motorway over here for a heavy goods vehicle, and they just didn't see them. They just hit them by 56 miles an hour, wiping the whole family out, and then the guy in front, two people did as well. Why can't I do something about this? I'm a safety guru, so why can't I do something? And I thought to myself, you know, right, let's get into the driver distraction, and there was nothing in England Nothing in England whatsoever. And I, and I went to the States. I met our good friend Ted here. And their solution is just absolutely mega. And, and there's a lot. Ted will tell you about it himself. I love it primarily because it's just got a, it's just a software download. So there's no hardware. And the, the implementation into fleets is so good and so easy. They've got a fantastic dashboard, which is so flexible. And it's got some functionality on there that nobody else has. And I just absolutely love it. And it does the perfect job. It stops people using the phone. They can use the phone, but it goes on a report. And I'll let Ted talk about his own product, but I, I've tried it. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm really privileged to be associated with Ted and, and, and Lifesaver Mobile. Distraction 999 sells three products primarily, but, but this is the standout product without a shadow of a doubt. And... Um, there is a you know another one uh, called Ping, which is not necessarily in Ted's space, uh, but it just reads out messages, loud, he gets the messages, and that is also a fantastic proposition. And it's kind of giving drivers something back where they actually can listen to messages, uh, you know, from the family, from the business, from the loved ones, from the friends going out Friday night, the, you know, football match or wherever they're going. And it's that distraction where I can now use my expertise uh, and my passion drive this forward and kind of become the go-to guy in the UK for these fantastic solutions, you know, like your lifesaver, mobile, etc., and the go-to business where they can come and get service for their need. Thanks, Paul. That was uh, such a nice uh, segue to introducing uh, our friend Ted Chin. Ted, your, your career path is fascinating. Undergrad and graduate degrees from a prestigious Ivy League school, a successful career in Silicon Valley, how did you come to found or co-found Lifesaver Mobile? Thanks, Tony, for that great intro. Appreciate that. Originally from the East Coast, always been enamored with technology and, you know, in the mid-90s, uh, not to give away how old I am, but uh, came out to Silicon Valley and wanted to be part of the cradle of technology. Came out, didn't really know anyone. Uh, me and my wife moved out here and decided that we were going to just be part of uh part of this uh, unique technology environment. My background is uh, in law, but I mi quickly migrated over to the business side. All sorts of different size businesses, startups, uh, went through the dot-com boom and the bust. Large public companies, Yahoo and AOL were on, uh, part of the career path as well. And then I guess back in 2013, 
I decided to take all those experiences and try to do my own thing, um, which is quite common, as you can imagine, in Silicon Valley. And so uh, my partner, uh, Mike, and I decided to tackle driver safety. And I guess the primary trigger to motivation to doing that was um, our oldest kids were just about, you know, they were getting their driver's licenses and they were in their training uh, period. We wanted to solve that problem of phone distraction for them, even though that was, what, eight years ago? You know, obviously everyone kind of knew how big of a deal the smartphone was going to be to all our lives. And uh, we knew that that was going to be something that we wanted to solve for not only for them, but for everyone around us so that we could all be safer. And so that's kind of how, how it all came to be. So, Ted, I've had the privilege of learning about your product and, and the technology. Would you mind sharing uh, the Lifesaver mobile approach to reducing or eliminating distracted driving? Sure thing, Tony. The phone is a, a really unique distraction, right? It's um, the allure of the phone is really hard to resist for most people. And I'm, I'm going to talk about <laughs> the average person versus the, the, the ones that are, you know, a little bit more um, able to kind of resist addictions or temptations of the phone. But uh, science tells us that our brains are programmed by uh, this chemical called dopamine to be addicted to the smartphone. I was actually looking this up in an article last night and I said, oh, let me see if I can quote something. So I found this really interesting quote about this uh, scientific aspect to it. Um, Smartphones have provided us with a virtually unlimited supply of social stimuli, both positive and negative. Every notification, whether it's a text message or a like on Instagram or a Facebook notification, has the potential to be a positive social stimulus and a dopamine influx. If you think about it, that's really what's why we're so enamored with checking that, that every time that phone pings, what, for whatever reason, people feel like they have to look at it, right? Because we love that dopamine uh, reaction. So um, it is a scientific thing. It's not like we're, we're bad people or anything like that. Unfortunately, that because the science is there and, and we're, our bodies and our human DNA is kind of programmed to do that, we, our philosophy, this kind of long-winded way of kind of answering your question, our philosophy is you do need prevention um, in order to change this behavior. It's not just, I mean, a, a lot of things can be coached up, but I think prevention is key here because of this unique distraction. So prevention and accountability is our philosophy because obviously prevention kind of takes away that problem and accountability keeps uh, the driver enrolled or participating in the program. So those two things are are really the kind of basis of, of how we designed our product. Number one, the app from a prevention aspect. And then two, the accountability from the, the manager side, the portal that, that Paul was referring to earlier. The two of them combined very well to kind of uh, create behavior change um, across whatever driver audience you're you're looking to do that with. So no hardware, right? Correct. A quick and easy app install, then the distractions stop, data starts to flow. That sounds like a perfect solution. If I was managing a fleet of vehicles, I'd be all over that. What kinds of objections are you uncovering in the marketplace? Sure. Well, uh, as I said earlier, prevention and accountability is critical to... Uh, our solution, and, and frankly, to, to any solution out there. Um, 
So I just briefly touch upon the, on the consumer side, which we don't focus on, but we do obviously um, have a solution for, for consumers. Really, that prevention and accountability aspect really exists only in the dynamic where it's a parent of a teen driver, that type of thing. But that prevention and accountability dynamic really exists naturally uh, with employers and employees. And as, as you alluded to, that's really our focus. Uh, and that's what, that, that's what we do as a business. I want to mention one thing before I get into sort of common objections. You know, fleets definitely want to be safer, uh, no doubt. But they also want that happy medium because drivers will need to buy into this program, right? And if they are, if drivers think that there's this, you know, zero tolerance restriction that they are absolutely stuck in this, you know, silent cocoon, um, they get nervous. They and and even the employers they get nervous too because they think that productivity is going to down, go down. And so there's there's got to be that happy medium between safety and productivity. And we've learned that balance over the years. That's how our product has been designed. We, we, it's highly configurable so that, um, you know, whether you're zero tolerance or you kind of want to move up the chain a little bit and, and allow for hands-free behavior, whatever the case may be, whatever your policy is, our platform really uh, can be customized for whatever uh, policy that you, that you uh, have within your company. Back to your original question, though, um, on the common objections, I think the biggest one and really the, the one that we, you know, that we all struggle with in this kind of fleet safety space is the, the notion that, well, you know, obviously my, my employees might be using a personal phone for work or may, might be carrying a second phone, a second personal phone. There's a couple ways around that or a couple ways to kind of refute that objection, if you will. Number one, if you are giving some sort of uh, financial motivation for them to use that personal phone for work purposes, uh, usually that's a bring your own device program, BYOD, um, then there's financial leverage, right? You can uh, make any safety program conditioned upon continuing to receive that financial stipend for the phone. And secondly, I want to also come back to the fact that as I said earlier, our, our restrictions in our platform are very customizable, right? So our restrictions can occur 24-7 or, you know, or basically whenever you're on duty, right? And so to the extent that you decide that, well, you know, my restrictions either on the corporate device or on the personal device uh, will occur only when you're on duty, I think it's a pretty compelling way to convince your employee that they need to be using something to to minimize the distraction of that device. And so financial leverage combined with narrowing the restriction to on-duty status are the two kind of ways that we have seen companies uh, successfully overcome this uh, common objection of, uh, you know, what, I don't want this on my personal phone. I guess with the other uh, thing that uh, might be a challenge or a hurdle is why can't my and employers ask this too? Can't my employees just uninstall the app? And the answer to that is, well, yeah, sure. Um, on a personal phone, app removal is, of course, you know, part of every mobile operating system out there. But if you remove the app, you'll land on the employer's exception report, which is part of our system, right? It, it automatically sends uh, every manager within the company an exception report. The next morning, you'll know who has been... Um, off the system versus on this or continues to be participating. So you'll know the ones that are not participating and can uh, keep them accountable. This is goes back to that 
that concept of um, prevention plus accountability. On a corporate phone, uh, the story is much easier. In most cases, corporate phones are managed by the company through a piece of software called mobile device management, in which case um, that mobile device management software can really restrict a lot of things about that corporate phone, including whether an employee can uninstall an app. So it kind of locks everything down on the on the phone so you can't really mess with uh, content and delete apps and, and that type of thing. So that would be another objection is uninstalling the app. You know, obviously, I just want to say, say I'm kind of alluding to the fact that corporate phones are much easier to control and manage than personal phones. Clearly, that's kind of intuitive. I wanted to mention that this is also a, a very strong trend that we're seeing in the marketplace. Uh, we're seeing companies, usually around over 100 drivers in their fleet, uh, starting to realize that corporate phones are really the way to go for many, many reasons, right? Um, you think about your intellectual property and, and the security of that. You think of um, business communications and being able to kind of keep everything on the corporate device so that it's not mixed in with a personal device uh, situation. Even the consistency of the mobile experience, just having the same device across all your drivers is uh, obviously very valuable to to uh, to both IT and, and just you know, support and all that stuff. Um, old phones are, are, battery lives are terrible. So you don't want to have drivers who are uh, on their personal device that could be five years old and then um, complaining that the uh, navigation is sucking up their battery and stuff like that. And then finally, the, the most important thing to uh, us as driver safety folks is the ability to control usage and, behind the wheel. And so as a corporate phone goes, there's so many different reasons why you want to go towards a corporate phone. And of course, liability and safety are, are two of those reasons as well. Yeah, Ted, that, uh, that certainly overcomes any objections I might have to uh, putting the application to work. Now, the application has been on the market now for several years. Would you mind giving us some insight into the kinds of improvement that uh, you're seeing with existing users? Sure, no problem. Um, so first off, I think you kind of you think about the baseline and the statistics. I think at, in the beginning of your intro, you were talking about uh, studies that have uh, found distracted driving is a factor in more than fifty percent of all crashes, and and um, and that I think that's actually fairly accurate. So we've as a uh, a young company, a Lifesaver Mobile, we've we've discovered that uh, it's pretty uh, advantageous to us to work with a lot of uh, channel partners that are motivated for different reasons to solve this problem as well. And so one of our biggest channels is the fleet insurers or insurers that are uh, writing commercial auto, workers comp, that type of thing. So uh, when we work with these insurers, uh, we obviously learn a lot about them. And one of the things that they've said to us over and over is at least 25% of all crashes are, is caused just by the phone. And that kind of goes to the 25 is low point and, and it's probably more like 50, which is what you said earlier. We think that you can clearly move the needle just by working on this phone distraction piece. And of course we have uh, another piece of the software that, that works on speeding. So when you, when you combine it all, you are really moving the needle on two of the biggest risk factors out there, right? Phone distraction, uh, which is the uh, most uh, the biggest risk factor for crash frequency and speeding, which is the biggest risk factor for crash 
severity. So intuitively, restricting screen usage and mandating hands-free or no calls is going to move the needle for your company. Now, having said all that, we talk to customers all the time and we make sure that, you know, how's it going and and what's your experience been? And of course, no one likes to talk about their crashes and whatnot. But what we've seen over the years is uh, our customers have lowered their crashes anywhere from, you know, 25 to 50%, you know, and that's kind of measuring uh, year over year, measuring 12 months before using Lifesaver and 12 months after using Lifesaver. So it's a pretty pretty substantial uh, drop in crash frequency. But again, when you think about all the statistics, uh, your studies and the insurance conversations that I mentioned earlier, it makes a lot of sense and it all kind of snaps together. Yeah, so you often hear distracted driving talked about in uh, uh, comparative terms with driving under the influence of alcohol or driving under the influence of drugs in terms of having similar impacts in crash rates. Um, it seems to me that distracted driving is is the perfect uh, situation for technology intervention. It would be difficult. Uh, there, have, there have been those who have tried to put technology in place that would intervene with someone under the influence of alcohol or drugs. It, it seems that technologies, for whatever reason, uh, having a very, very difficult time getting implemented But then, of course, conversely, with the use of drugs and alcohol in driving, there is a a social stigma that helps keep that behavior in check to a very, very large degree. So I'm excited to see that particularly with the situation with distracted driving, that there is a way technologically to step in, particularly in commercial applications. Of course, the the business-to-consumer applications, you know, might be a, a more difficult pull, but in the long run, I hope that, as was the case with you when when your children were learning to drive, as was the case with me, and I'm I'm, I'm sure with all the uh, young people that Paul has seen in his career, uh, that, that parents will latch on ultimately uh, uh, to the idea as well. So uh, exciting stuff, um, gentlemen. I'll close our time. By, by asking both of you, and Paul, I'll start with you to share any final thoughts that you might have on the topic of distracted driving or anything that I could have uh, asked you that I didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah, okay, Tony. Uh, it's been a great conversation, but, uh, you know, Ted's gone into quite deeply there in, into how tragic this, this distraction, distracted driving is, specifically with phone addiction. You know, and, and the temptation for the phones. But uh, our good friends at Zendrive, they came up with a, an incredibly frightening uh, set of figures, and it really was frightening. So I, I use this quite often, and, and just uh, just five little figures here that are just shatteringly uh, incredible. The mobile phone is the number one distraction in a vehicle. 150 times a day is the, the average people check their phones daily. 88% of drivers admit to looking at and using their phones daily. And, and here's the big one. 57% of all crashes are phone-related, and 71% of commercial vehicle crashes are related to phone interaction. Now, they came up with these figures, and over, over in the UK, we don't have this research that goes as deep as this. So this was just like, inc- when I read it, Tony, it was just frightening. But it, it, it told me that we're all on the right path 
of, of trying to save lives, and that's what we're that's what we're all about technically. Uh, but you know, companies and, and and road safety specialists. That's our job in life. You know, to save lives. How are we going to do it? But I just like to say one final thing is that driving is potentially the most dangerous thing that people do on a daily basis. If you throw into that a safety equation, somebody interacting with their phone where their attention is completely taken away from the driving scene, we now have a crash that's just about to happen. And happen it does frequently and very often. So we just like people. It's a person's choice. If they haven't got the technology or they don't have the technology currently, it's their choice. I shouldn't be doing this because, as you rightly pointed out at the start, Tony, we're 23% more, more likely, 23 times more likely to have a crash by interacting with the phone than, than we would if we weren't interacting with the phone. And it's these devastating figures to people. It'd be great if they realised that, but also fleet owners and business people say to themselves, look, we've just got to stop this because I think that phone distraction crashes is the most underreported crash causation for insurers because nobody's going to quote-unquote fess up that they was on the phone at the point of impact. So it is is a bad thing, and I'm really quite delighted to be working with our good friend Ted here and his amazing proposition because we can save lives, not just one or two a day that we're training directly to, but for hundreds and thousands of drivers globally. And that is, for me, is just peace of mind when I go to bed on the night and I can sleep well. Thank you very much. Paul, thank you so much both for uh, those sobering comments and uh, encouraging uh, comments as well. Ted? Yeah, so uh, I really like what you said earlier, Tony, about um, the, uh, you know, noticing the the stigma attached to some of the other unsafe driving behaviors. But unfortunately, that stigma hasn't really kind of uh, carried over as much to the smartphone, which is unfortunate. I think that's part of uh, the challenge that we have here um, across our society or across, you know, the world, actually. There's official designations that uh, come out from like CDC and whatnot. I think distracted driving, phone distraction is officially an epidemic. And it's one of our biggest risks on the roadways today. So um, as I think about sort of what you said earlier um, about some some of the other uh, risk factors for driving, uh, it's exactly right. And we kind of like to quote um, this, uh, this quote, which is, a problem which this problem, which has been born by technology, can we think should be solved by technology? So, and that's why, kind of what we we do what we do, right? So, smartphones are amazing tools. They've changed all of our lives, but they're also very addicting, as we talked about with the science uh, behind it. And very few of us, very few, are immune. Most of us need that help to to use our phones safely behind the wheel. And that's what, you know, that's what our software does. It, it kind of mandates or forces compliance and the ability to ignore that uh, allure, which is so part of the, well, our human nature. So thank you again, Tony, for the opportunity today to speak to your listeners. Our partnership with both of your companies will, will continue to make our roads safer around the world. And thanks again to both of you for joining us in conversation today. And thanks further for your commitment to eliminating driving distractions. This was most enjoyable for me, and I trust uh, for our listeners as well. 
And that wraps this episode of the Global Road Safety Podcast. Stay tuned for future guest announcements and drive safely. The Global Road Safety Podcast is sponsored by Smith System, the leader in crash avoidance driver safety training. Follow the Global Road Safety Podcast for new episodes coming soon. Thank you.